About a month or so ago, I preached on the sin of envy. So we hear about the rich young man. This evening, it's appropriate to preach on the sin of greed. And so I'm going to structure this homily just simply, what is greed? What is the root of greed? And then how do we remove greed? And first, the question, what is greed? The New Testament defines greed as simply the love of money, which means that we all have greed, you know, because we all love money. So the love of money is the root of all evils. So you read in St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, the love of money. Now, the thing about the seven capital sins or the seven deadly sins is that they're not all created equal. They don't all affect us equally. There are a few different categories. One of these categories is natural sin or like warm-blooded sin. Those sins that we see in ourselves that are also defects that manifest themselves in animals. Like so, for instance, gluttony and lust, the two fleshly sins, warm-blooded sins. You see this, right? Like you have your dog, Fido, you know? Like you put food out for Fido, Fido eats the food, you put out more food for Fido, Fido eats the second bowl of food, you put out a third bowl, Fido doesn't say, well, it's time to die, I should watch my figure. No, Fido eats the third bowl of food, he's a glutton. But then Fido, at the same time, you know, like Fido sees uh, the other dog down the road, you know, like Fido's not going to say, like, you know what, I should abstain, I should be chased. No, Fido's going to, you know, try to give you puppies with, you know, with another dog, right? So, like, these sins, gluttony and lust, they're natural. They, they happen amongst the animals, they happen with us. But then there are some sins that are unnatural. And the head of those unnatural sins are, or cold-hearted sins, is greed. Greed is a learned sin. It's not a natural sin. Like, Fido doesn't have a Charles Schwab account, you know? Like, Fido doesn't just, like, keep all these bones in the back of his kennel, like in a treasure chest. You know, like, he only has his one bone, he chews on, and then he goes and finds his other bone. Fido doesn't struggle with greed. But we do. We have this unnatural desire to accumulate wealth. And so this unnatural desire, the Lord is going to treat different than these natural sins. We notice in the Gospels, these warm-blooded or these natural sins, Jesus is exceedingly gentle with these. Like he, he forgives the woman caught in adultery. He talks about how great the woman loves him who anoints his feet with oil. But with the Pharisees who are hypocrites, and with the rich young man that we hear, Jesus, although he looks at the rich young man with love, he's quite stern. He says, so sell all that you have and come and follow me. That Jesus attacks these cold-hearted sins straight on. And so the question is then, if greed is this big of a deal, if we all struggle with it, and Jesus attacks it very head-on, then what is its root? What is its root? There's the story of a man, uh, Frank Abagnale Jr., who lived in the 60s, 70s, and at the age of 15 started to forge checks. Now, whenever he was forging these checks, he would cash them so as to make money. He was committing bank fraud and was really robbing banks just in a creative way. 
And it got to the point where he didn't want to forge checks just in his local bank so that he didn't get caught. So he faked his way into becoming an airline pilot and then flew from place to place where he could drop off these different checks at these different banks. Eventually, when people got onto his story, uh, then he went down to Baton Rouge and posed as a doctor where he would forge checks there. And then eventually wanted to become a lawyer and then is eventually caught. Fred Adignail is, uh, at the age of 17, became the most effective bank robber in U.S. American history. And he's also the main character of the movie Catch Me If You Can. And so what we see in Frank Abagnale's rise through greed, there is a direct correlation between his increase in greed and his desire to escape. And this is the real root of greed. The desire to escape and to build a home for oneself. Because Frank Abagnale's story is this, is that at the age of 15, his parents had got divorced. And so he wanted to run away from his broken home because he didn't want to stay with his mom and his mom's new boyfriend. Now, knowing that he has no place to live, he goes out on a search and adventure to make a home and an identity for himself. As he takes on these different homes and these different identities, what ends up happening if you've seen the movie, it's a great movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. Leonardo DiCaprio, Frank Abagnale, at one point, knowing that he's being chased by Tom Hanks, calls him on Christmas night. And calling him on Christmas night, then Tom Hanks replies, I realize why you're calling me. You're calling me not because you want to taunt me. You're calling me because you have no one else to talk to because you were utterly alone. And this is what greed comes from, but it's also what greed reinforces. It comes from this idea that we are alienated, that we are alone, and that there is not a home for us to live in. And it reinforces this loneliness because as the greedy build their own kingdoms, they are also building their own prisons to keep them away from others because the greedy cannot trust that someone will not threaten their kingdom, since they fundamentally believe that the kingdom is, their home is something that they themselves have to provide for, that God can't do it. And so how does that manifest itself, this root? We heard in the first reading in the Book of Wisdom how valuable wisdom is, and how those who receive wisdom have this treasure beyond all measure. Well, what as I said before, what greed does is that it comes from this idea of feeling alone and knowing that I will not have a home to go to, so I have to provide for my own. But it also reinforces that idea, as St. Paul says in the letter of 1 Timothy, that the love of money is the root of all evil. So in the book of wisdom, here's what the author Solomon says in chapter 2. Not what we heard today. But in chapter 2, and Solomon is talking about the wicked man. And he says that the wicked man is a materialist. Whenever, this is from Wisdom, chapter 2, verse 3. 
Whenever our reason is extinguished, the body will turn to ashes, and the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Now, a lot of times we use this word materialist, and we mean like somebody who's just obsessed with stuff. And that's part of it. But in the truest sense, materialism is when we reduce everything in reality to just matter, to just stuff. And this materialism ultimately comes from this idea that Solomon says about the wicked man. The wicked man says, we were born by mere chance. We were born by mere chance. Not we were born by the intentional creative will of God. We were born with a plan and with a purpose that God the Father had in mind. But no, no, we were born by mere chance. And so because we were born by mere chance, because we don't really have a home or a purpose, he then goes on to say, let us take our fill of costly wine and perfumes and let no flower or spring pass by us. And because we were born by chance and that we will ultimately just return back to dust, there's nothing spiritual within us, let us just indulge and take everything uh, with great pleasure, because this is all that exists. Now, as we know, whenever Jesus desires to remove the rich man of his treasure, it seems like it's a very cruel thing. It seems like Jesus is saying, you know what, if you really love me, get rid of all your stuff. Like Jesus is giving an ultimatum. But the gospel writer is very intentional about saying Jesus looked at him and he loved him and said, if you desire to, if you desire eternal life, then sell what you have to the poor and come and follow me. He looked at him and he loved him. Because what Jesus is trying to reinstill in the rich young man is his identity. And giving him the look, the gaze of love, he's trying to reestablish his identity. But the problem is that this man has identified himself with all of his stuff. We, what we love, we identify with. And so he's identified himself all of his stuff. So now whenever Jesus says, get rid of your stuff, he's saying, no, wait, I am stuff. He loves his stuff so much that he thinks of himself as no more than stuff. This is what materialism does, is that it reduces our own identity to the things that we surround ourselves with. And so the rich young man walks away sad because he feels like Jesus is tearing apart his identity. He's tearing him apart. So the only thing that he can do is walk away back to what's familiar. But what Jesus is trying to do is that if he is going to establish his identity as a son of the Father, he has to establish the fact that every son depends upon his Father. There is no son who comes to his Father and is like, Actually, my lemonade stand has been so successful that I bought myself a car and I'm not need to be dropped off at the bus stop. You know, that just doesn't happen. Um, you know, that'd probably be a bad idea. Anyway, point is that sons depend upon their father. And that if we are sons of the father, then that dependence cannot be optional. And so what Green tries to do is make that dependence optional. So this comes to the point of how do we root out greed? And it's all about removing this option 
for depending upon God. So there are a few things that we do. First, greed, because it is not a natural sin, it's not just about acting differently, but it's about thinking differently. We have to think different. And so this thought that we have to do is recognize that Jesus' Jesus' desire for our poverty is his desire for our identity. Jesus' desire for our poverty is his desire for our identity. Again, we identify with what we love, and if we love stuff, then we reduce ourselves to simply stuff. And so Jesus wants us to be poor so that we can look at his loving gaze that he offers to the rich man, so that we can identify with him. That's the way in which we need to think. And that gaze comes in prayer. We put ourselves in a position where we're not surrounded by stuff, but we are surrounded by the spirit God who is immaterial. And so by being in prayer, we begin to think different and so are able to un, uh, unroot some of the greed. But that because greed has to do with stuff, it also must be accompanied with action. We can't just think differently. We have to do differently. And so there are a few actions that we have to do, really two and then uh, three actions within the second. The first is tithe. We need to tithe. Let's say that the standard is 10%. And the standard is 10%. The exception is not 10%. And there are different exceptions throughout our, our states of life where we will need to give less or maybe more. But the standard should be 10%. This is what tithing is, that we give 10% of our income. And then the second, more vague, is acting in a way without gain. Acting without gain. And there are three things that come to mind for me in acting without gain. First, we can love the poor in all their forms. And not just the materially poor, because uh, frankly, perhaps in our present state of life as students, we're not around the materially poor all that often. But we are around the emotionally poor who struggle just to conversate. We are around the um, attention-starved poor who can demand a lot from us and give us very back little in return. We can be around those who are morally poor and offer them uh, the example of our own holiness by making difficult decisions in their midst. That we love the poor in all their form, in all their forms, especially those poor who have nothing back, nothing to give back to us. That we love them in their poverty. There's also just just service, like looking for opportunities to serve, especially in the mindset of the student. A lot of times, understand, like in the middle of the semester, and everything in your life is about your own gain, and to some degree that's the way that like the university designs your life. Because it's like, look, I have these 18 credit hours. I have to pass these credit hours. I have to schedule my life in a way in which I can get these things done. And then everything else is about my own rest and feeding myself. But if we're acting that way, then we're acting in a scared manner, acting like the Father has no place for us. And so making intentional decisions where I'm just going to say, I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to give him my time in some way and just serve for the sake of service. Otherwise, we are feeding this mentality of greed. And so just generally serving for generously serving with a desire to please the Father. 
And then thirdly, and this is something that we can do frequently and with, um, yeah, just with, with great availability, is just to break our own will, is to deny ourselves regularly. Whether that's to deny ourselves of talking to someone that we like, whether that's to deny ourselves of a certain meal, whether it's to deny ourselves of making a comment in conversation, whatever it might be, just regular moments where we break our own will. Because whenever we are living comfortably, a lot of times we're living comfortably because we are in no need of trusting God. We're living comfortably because we say to ourselves, I can provide a home for myself, and I am not in need of depending upon the Father. And so we ask that the Lord can help us to unthink our way out of materialism through prayer, through tithing, and through serving the Lord without gain.